course, it runs in John from chapter 13 through chapter 17. And it's this really intriguing area of the Bible because this is what's happening. Jesus is about to be arrested just a few hours later. Jesus is about to head to the cross and he's sitting in this room and he's teaching his disciples and these are the last things he's gonna say before he heads to the cross. Okay, so just everything in this is just, it's so important, it's so condensed, it's so incredible that we have this recorded because John was sitting in that room listening to Jesus. He records it so that we for thousands of years can read Jesus' words before he was about to be arrested. And so in this section, we're in, we're, we're, in, we're gonna see this really interesting G- metaphor that Jesus uses and it's those first 17 verses in chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be complete, may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one in this, that he laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command love each other. The word of the Lord. This last week we had a vacation Bible school. Vacation Bible school was a ton of fun. Some of you guys were, were parents. Some of you uh, uh, helped at Vacation Bible School. It was an amazing time, amazing week for our kids to learn uh, just about Jesus, their, their lo- his love for them, and to really just have a lot of fun uh, in the scriptures, in, in the word. Uh, but I had to share one one funny story from VBS with you this morning. So I play the outside games with the kids, and it was a bit hot, if you notice, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. So I'm out there, it was about the fourth group, and I'm trying to explain a game to about 50 people, you know, 30 kids, a bunch of adults. So, I'm, so everyone's quiet, looking at me. I've kind of got my arms on the side because I'm a little bit exhausted. I'm about halfway through explaining this, and this little girl about this high interrupts me and goes, Pastor Darwin. I'm like, yes, your armpits are sweaty. (laughs) 
thanks, I appreciate that. Now everybody's looking at my sweaty armpits. But we had a great time at VBS, so thank you, thank God for that, and we had fun, and we, we just had a great time in the Word. So as we get in, into our sermon for this morning, this message, let's, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you we can come here with good friends and family. Thank you for the awesome blessing vacation Bible school was, and now as we come to your Word, as we come to this message, Lord, we pray that you would prepare our hearts, prepare our minds, help it change us, help us leave different people than we walked in. Give me the words that you've got me to say. We love you. Amen. So a few years ago, Megan and I bought a house. And right out in front of this house was an overgrown jungle of a garden. I mean, one of those gardens you can't even walk through. It was huge, huge, green, big garden. Now, you've got to understand something. I'm not a gardener. I'm really not a gardener. If you're a flower and you've got to choose between no one taking care of you and me taking care of you, choose no one. (laughs) It's the same thing. I'm not a gardener, but my mother-in-law is a gardener. She's amazing. She could have like a TV show on some, some cable network, right? She's an amazing gardener. And right off the bat when we moved in, we figured out something was wrong with this garden. It was huge. It was green. But it was giving off no plant. I mean, flowers. Any flower we had was a tiny little flower. There are only a few. Something was really wrong with the garden. And so my mother-in-law, who's this excellent gardener, she comes to town and visits us for a week. And immediately she diagnosed the problem. She says, you know what? No one's pruned this garden in years. So she goes to town. I mean, she starts cutting everything off, pruning this garden. The the rose bushes had been this big, big kind of wild green bush without a whole lot of roses. And I came home from work one day and she's got them down to these tiny little stubs. And so I say, Monica, my mother-in-law's name is Monica. Monica, you murdered my rose bushes. (laughs) And she goes, no, 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 I just just pruned them. No, no, you, you decapitated them. There's nothing left. She's got the whole garden cut up, pruned off, and thrown in the yard because apparently I needed a project too. (laughs) And at the end of the week, she could tell that I thought she had pruned these these plants past the brink of death. It was probably because I kept telling her that. (laughs) And so she goes, Darvin, it's okay. You got to trust me. It's okay. Cutting, Cutting these plants Pruning them is the only way that they're going to ever grow and thrive, that you're ever going to get flowers out of them again. And I didn't believe her until the next spring. When those same rose bushes bloomed and blossomed and we have had gorgeous roses ever since. And guys, you might know what this feels like, but... uh, I had to admit that my mother-in-law was right, and I was wrong, <laughs> and I had to admit that I am not a gardener. <laughs> this morning, we come to this, this, this really interesting little passage in the Gospel of John, and, and, and here, again, Jesus is about to leave. He's about to leave his disciples, and he's given them just some last words, and one of them is this really interesting little metaphor he uses in these 17 verses. This metaphor that has three characters, a vine, a gardener, and branches. 
And this morning, as we begin to try to understand this passage, we have to begin by looking at those three characters, who they are and what they do. The vine, the gardener, and the branches. And so Jesus introduces us to the first character, which is himself. He introduces us to the vine in verse 1. I am the true vine. He says this again in verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. So Jesus is reaching back from an Old Testament image in this passage. He's reaching back into passages like Psalm 80, Jeremiah 2, Isaiah 5, where God actually called Israel, the people, the nation of Israel, his vine. You see, God's plan for Israel was to be growing, to be bearing fruit, to be going out into all the nations, his kingdom growing over all the world just like a vine. But there was a problem. Isaiah 5, 2 tells us it yielded only bad fruit. And now in John 15, Jesus claims to be that vine that Israel failed to be. It's through Jesus that God's kingdom will grow. It's through Jesus that his kingdom will invade and grow over all the earth. It's through Jesus, the vine, that we, the branches, are given life. Last week, my wife, Megan, cut off one of those roses from the rose bush and she brought it inside. If you guys have ever done this at your house, you know that the rose might last for about three hours, right? Looks beautiful only for a few hours. A couple days later, the, the petals had half of them fallen off on the counter. It withered up and it was dead. And hey, I'm not a gardener, but for even for me, I'm I'm not surprised when you cut a branch, when you cut a flower off its vine, off its trunk, once you cut a branch off the vine, it's removed from its only source of life, and it is going to die. It's just a matter of time. So in this passage, in this metaphor, the vine is Jesus because Jesus gives life. Jesus gives life. And maybe first you're thinking, well, isn't this a nice little Bible passage? I bet Precious Moments has an inspirational porcelain figure of a vine and a branch. Isn't this sweet? But they don't. <laughs> because this is not a nice passage. It gets a little harsh. And we find that as we explore the second character. Jesus introduces us to the character of the gar gardener, who is the father in the first two verses. He says, my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. So it'll be even more fruitful. So in verse two, this is what we see. Gardener does two things. Gardener does only two things in this, in this story. He cuts off the lifeless, he prunes the living. Cuts off the lifeless, prunes the living. First thing the gardener does is cut off the lifeless. Jesus actually comes back to this in verse six. He says, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Just like the rose on my counter, branches, branches that don't remain in Jesus wither and die. 
Even if we grew up in a Christian home, even if we said a certain prayer years ago, even if we've gone to church for decades, our faith can become lifeless. If we don't remain in Jesus, we'll be cut off. Now, I'm not a gardener. If you're leaving town and you want a plant to die, ask me to watch it. But this does make sense to a real gardener, even though this warning is harsh. When we moved into our house, we found a, a peach tree out front. And I got excited because I love peaches. Peaches are my very favorite fruit. So spring comes, and we find that some of the branches are starting to grow green buds and leaves, and then some of them are dead. And so that first spring and summer came, and, and we didn't get any fruit. Same thing happened the next summer, and this summer, that tree died. It's totally dead. No life in it at all. And it died for one reason. No one ever cut off the dead branches. Nobody ever pruned the plant. Nobody ever cut off the dead branches. They made the whole tree sick, and ultimately they killed it. And it never gave me any, any fruit. Not a single peach. I love peaches. I'm still upset every time I see that plant. For the health of the whole plant, dead, lifeless branches, they have to be cut off. Or you get this, my dead peach tree. Though God is concerned about each and every one of us, the growth and health of his kingdom is more important than any single branch. The gardener cuts off the lifeless. But the father, the gardener, also prunes the living. Let's reread that part of verse 2. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. That's what my mother-in-law did to our garden. Those rose bushes weren't dead. They just weren't producing the, fr the fruit, the blossoms that they, they could. So she cut it back and it produced even more. The gardener is the father and he cuts off the lifeless and he prunes the living. And this brings us to the third character in Jesus' metaphor, the branches. In verse 5, Jesus told us, I am the vine, you are the branches. Jesus' disciples, both the very first disciples that are sitting there with him as he speaks these words, and us are the branches. We are the branches. And what branches do is the very most important thing you need to hear in this passage. Jesus says it a number of times. Here's two of them. Now remain in my love, from verse 9. In verse 4, remain in me. Jesus is about to leave these guys. And he has this very simple word for them. Guys, remain. Remain. Remain in your love for me. Continue. Stay true. Reside in your faith. Remain in the vine. Jesus actually, if you reread this passage, Jesus uses the word remain 10 times in 10 verses. It is the message of this passage. As the branches, Jesus' followers remain in his love. We remain. The gardener cuts off the lifeless and prunes the living. And we're the branches. So as branches, we want to find ourselves in the pruned camp, right? That's the better of the two. We don't want to be cut off. If we only have two options to remain or be cut off, 
We know which one we want to be. We want to be in that pruned, living camp. We want to be in that, that healthy, growing branch camp. So, how do we know if we are remaining in Jesus? How do we figure that out? How do we test ourselves? Well, if you've noticed, we've only made it through about a third of the verses. So, for the remaining portion of this passage, Jesus is going to give us three commands. Three commands that help us kind of reveal, test ourselves to know if we're a growing, remaining branch, staying close to Jesus, the vine, or if we're becoming lifeless. If we're heading that direction of being cut off. So we're going to look at these three commands to see if we're remaining in him. To kind of just look at ourselves for a moment. Jesus' first command for his branches is this. Bear fruit. Bear fruit. Verses 4 and 5. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will not you might, you well bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Then verse eight, this is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. He comes back to it in verse 16. I chose you and appointed you so that, meaning for a purpose, for this purpose, so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. This is pretty simple, right? Jesus says if you remain in him, you bear fruit. He doesn't explain what bear fruit means in this passage, but if we look elsewhere in scripture, we'll find that it has two aspects. The first is personal transformation. It's, it's becoming more like Jesus. And so here we want to ask ourselves, am I being transformed? This is a good question. Am I more like Jesus today than I was a year ago? Am I more like Jesus today than I was two years ago, three years ago? Am I being personally transformed? Am I bearing that fruit in my life? And then the second aspect of what bearing fruit means in Scripture is it's each one of us playing a role in growing the gospel and the gospel growing throughout the world. We're branches. We, we grow. The vine grows. It is consistently and clearing, clearly sharing faith with those who don't know Jesus. And so the question we've got to ask here is, have I shared my faith with someone? Have I shared my faith with someone who doesn't know Jesus in the last year? Now, we're not responsible for that decision that they make, but we are responsible to speak the name of Christ into others' lives. Have I shared my faith in the last year? A private brand of Christianity that's lived only in quiet example, that never actually speaks the name of Jesus, is foreign to the Bible. A brand of Christianity that does not have a desire to see people trust Christ as Savior is no Christianity at all, but is a cut-off, burned-up branch Followers of Jesus bear fruit. But statistics will show us that in the U.S., most of us just don't. Even among those Christians who agree that we each have a personal responsibility to share our faith, less than half have talked about their faith with someone in the hope that they would trust Jesus as Savior within the last 
year. It would appear that being fruitless has become the norm of Christianity in our country. This is the first command. Am I being transformed? Am I sharing my faith? Am I bearing fruit? Am I bearing fruit? Jesus' second command to see if we're a living or lifeless branch is this. Obey my commands. It's obedience. Verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command. Verse 10. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. If we remain a living, growing branch in Jesus, we follow his commands. God wrote the Bible, and Jesus is God, so obeying Jesus' command is obeying his word, obeying scripture, obeying the Bible. My daughter is uh, 15 months now, and she's just getting to that age where uh, I'm learning a lot about disobedience, you know? If you're a parent, you probably understand what I mean. She's beginning to have these opinions that they contradict mine. She wants to do something, and I'd like to do something else, and then she, you can see those little wheels turning, gets to decide my way or hers. That's obedience. That's obedience. Obedience just doesn't just happen when what we want and what God wants happens to kind of align. Obedience happens when there's that thing we want to do. When there's that action that we want to declare good and God's word disagrees. And we've got a decision to make if we're going to trust him. We've got a decision to say, God, it might not be my instinct. It might not be what my friends think. It might not be the popular moral opinion, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going with your way on this one. That's obedience. How do we know if we're remaining in Jesus? Am I obeying Jesus' commands? And then the third question to ask ourselves if we're remaining in Jesus is, am I loving others? In verse 17, he said, this is my command, love each other. In verses 12 to 13, he said, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. If we're remaining a growing, healthy branch in the vine in Jesus, we'll love others, particularly other brothers and sisters in Christ. And if you look at verse 12, what you'll find is Jesus brings up the sacrifice he's about to make as the example of what that looks like. So our question here is, have, when was the last time have I loved someone in a way that cost me something? When was the last time I made a sacrifice for someone? Maybe even someone I wasn't close friends with, maybe even someone who wasn't in my family. Our third question to ask ourselves if we're remaining in Jesus is, am I loving others? Now, I went through those three commands pretty quick. And I did it for a reason. And now that we've looked at them, I, I want to ask you, how'd you react? How, how do these three make you feel? As we worked through them, what were kind of the thoughts going through your mind with your life, with your, where your faith is at? Did your thought process begin with, man, I've got some pruning to do. When I asked if you've shared your faith in the last year, if you had said no, how'd you feel? Is there a little guilt? When you heard that word obedience, how'd it make you feel? 
like you needed to try harder, like you're not living up. See, a lot of us, when we hear challenging commands like this, we begin with what I can do, what I bring to the table. My willpower, my effort will get me through this. But if your mind started there, and a lot of ours do, this is what you did. You just changed characters in Jesus' metaphor. You're a branch who began to think of themselves as the gardener. It's the gardener that prunes, not the branches. Jesus says to the branches, remain in me, not work hard to prune yourself. He says, remain in my love, guys. But in our sin, it's our default to start with what what I can do, with what I can fix. Starting by thinking I need to earn it, putting myself in the character of God, the gardener, and I am not a gardener. Last year, I pulled up some weeds and they ended up being beautiful orange poppies. I'm not a gardener. And neither are any of us. We're branches. And so I want to go back through these three commands and I want to point out the healthy response of a branch. A branch that's remaining and living and growing in Christ. So first, bearing fruit. It's hard for us to hear that question of have I shared my faith with someone who doesn't know Jesus in the last year because statistically most of us haven't. And so we might feel guilt. We might feel like we need to try harder, give more, do more in evangelism. But that's beginning with what I can do. And I'm not the gardener. Instead, Jesus tells his branches, remain in my love. If you're loving Jesus more, talking about him is going to become as natural as breathing, right? Think about something you love. I want you to think about something you're passionate about in life. Do you have to force yourself to talk about that? Do you have to guilt yourself into talking about that? No, those things that we love that we're passionate about, people can barely get us to shut up about them. It's just what we talk about. And so when when we're loving Jesus, when we're drawing close to him, when we're seeking him with everything we are, we can't help but to talk about him. One of our values at this church is Jesus. We say this, we will captivate South Denver and beyond with the good news of life in Jesus. And that's where it starts. It starts with being captivated ourselves with Christ not with what I can do. And when you're captivated by Christ, when he is ultimately the greatest love in your life, you won't be able to help but share your faith and bear fruit. Our second command was to obey Jesus' command. And a lot of us react very, very differently to that word obedience, don't we? For some of us, it invokes Fear, for others, it invokes guilt, anger, defensiveness. Try harder, put more on my to-do list. But just like bearing fruit, obedience does not start with what I can do. Whether you choose to obey or not is not primarily about your willpower, your level of effort, but it's primarily about who you think God is. 
And so if you think God is this mean and distant God who's just kind of waiting to throw lightning bolts down on you from heaven the next time you mess up, sure, you might obey in public, but in private, you're gonna struggle with disobedience. You're gonna hear your father's voice and it's gonna sound like an abusive father to your ears. Or if you think of God, if you view God as kind of a weak grandfather or just nothing more than a close friend. You're gonna hear your father's words, you're gonna hear scripture, you're gonna hear him speak, and you're gonna think of it as a suggestion instead of an authority. And so in the end, just like with a good friend, most of the time you're gonna end up following your own experience instead of their advice. But if you see God as a father who loves you, who wants your best, who wants your joy, who's looking out for you. When your dad speaks, you listen. You change your path. You trust him that he really has your best interest in mind. And as Jesus tells us in verse 11, ultimately that sort of obedience ends in our joy. Obedience doesn't start with our willpower. It doesn't start with what I can do. It starts with who I think God is. And then our third command, love others. None of us can love anybody perfectly. I've been trying to love my wife, Megan, perfectly for nine years. It's not working. None of us can love anyone perfectly because we're flawed people. But if we love God, it's impossible for our love for him not to spill out over into his people. Whether it's bearing fruit or obedience or loving others, our default mode for most of us is to start with what I can do. But remaining in Jesus doesn't start with what I can do, but who I love. And if you're noticing that you're not quite there yet, as we went through these three, if you'd look at one of those three, maybe two, and say, I've got some pruning to do, the question you have to start with is what's competing with my heart? For Jesus. Is Jesus really who I love, the ultimate love in my life? Am I remaining in my love for him? But hey, I'm not a gardener. My mother-in-law knows it. My peach tree knows it. My rose bushes know it. My neighbors know it. I'm not a gardener. And that's the point of this passage. None of us are. We're the branches. In the end, Jesus' message here in John 15 has nothing to do with us earning it and everything to do with grace. I am not the gardener. And I don't have to be. God is. Jesus tells us to remain in his love and remaining in his love doesn't start with what I can do. It starts with who I love. It starts with being captivated by my savior, with him being the love of my life. And then as I come close to him, the vine, he gives me life and he prunes. Because I'm just a branch. I'm not the gardener. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this day. Uh, thank you for these words you had, John, record for us so many years ago, Lord. May we just 
even in the face of challenging commands and, 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 and this passage, 